0: Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store over on Etsy at Etsy.com/slash shop slash beyond blathers. And make sure to follow us over on TikTok at
1: Beyond underscore blathers. So you might have noticed that this episode is out on a Monday, so we've decided to change our release dates from Fridays to Mondays going forward because it works a lot better for our schedules now that we're both busy with our masters.
0: Yeah, we wanted to say thank you all so much for your flexibility with us as we sort out balancing the podcast with our other school and work-related workloads. And yeah, we just really appreciate how understanding you all are, so... Yeah, please tune in on Mondays to get our new episodes, and we yeah we hope to be with you every Monday going forward. <laughs> so today we are talking about a dinosaur, but this is a dinosaur that's not in the game. But it was Olivia's choice this week, so I'm I'm excited to hear about it. I I assume it must be a, a special dinosaur.
1: Yeah, I I really wanted to talk about Pachyrhinosaurus today because. I, like many other dino nerds, have been binging Prehistoric Planet on Apple TV. This is not an ad, but I just think that if you are a dino nerd, it's definitely worth the like 12 bucks a month or whatever to subscribe and watch the show.
0: I also should say as a TV nerd that I would recommend Apple TV for Severance and Pachinko and Ted Lasso (laughs) if you haven't watched Ted Lasso, but like Again, not an Apple TV ad, but like you can watch Prehistoric Planet. And then if you have some time left in your month, watch Severance, like watch it. It's probably the best show that I watched in recent memory. Dang, I haven't seen it. I need to watch it. I also love that you're like binging Prehistoric Planet and I'm like binging Stranger Things and watching like Steve Harrington (laughs)
1: edits. (laughs) No, I'm also binging. No, no, make no mistake. I'm also binging Stranger Things. Uh, It's so good. Lots of good TV out this month. Yeah. It's been a good time.
0: Maybe we should make a spin-off like Stranger Things Science (laughs)
1: podcast. (laughs) Oh gosh, that's too much physics for me. I can't do it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so but going back to Prehistoric Planet, this show has got the paleo community super excited because it's basically a more up-to-date walking with dinosaurs. The graphics are just Oh my gosh, the graphics are mind blowingly beautiful. And in my non expert opinion, they seem to be representing reasonably speculative claims about potential dinosaur behavior and appearance based on both the fossil evidence and also behaviors that we see in wildlife today. And I just think it's really, it's really cool to see them taking those risks i guess and but but taking those risks in a way that's like scientifically credible still obviously i'm sure there's lots of like controversy with some of the things they say but it's it's beautiful and i think just think it's a beautiful piece of paleo art so yeah definitely recommend it i the other day i watched the ice worlds episode and this has been something i really enjoy about paleo media these days is this emphasis placed on dinosaurs that didn't just live in deserts or in tropical forests like we're used to seeing on jurassic park and cartoons but now between this show and the new jurassic world coming we're seeing dinosaurs that also lived in the far north being represented in media and i think that's really cool you know back then The far north maybe wasn't as cold as it is today, but it it was still a harsh, snowy habitat with extreme seasonal change, which makes it hard for a lot of organisms to survive there. And so it's really cool to see this representation of dinosaurs in the far north. There's also this beautiful piece of paleo art that might be among one of my favorite paleo art pieces. It's by Andrea Tuchin. It shows these juvenile raptors in the foreground with these Rhinosaurus in the background. And the sky is just this beautiful aurora borealis. And I just think it's so lovely. And I'll post it on Instagram. It makes, at least for me, it makes me feel like dinosaurs were actually like these real animals that lived on an earth that seems increasingly like the one we inhabit today as more discoveries are being made and as that picture fills out. So I think that might be why I just really connect to Pachyrhinosaurus is it just feels like a very familiar animal that lived in a familiar habitat.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially, I mean, you're from Edmonton and you can actually see the Aurora Borealis there and like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, it, it's nice to, I don't know, think about dinosaurs living actually kind of where you lived, like feeling that connection to them through time.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something really cool too about this piece of media. Prehistoric Planet is, I think, just a very modern look at Dinosaurs, not as dinosaurs, but as animals. Yeah. So (laughs) if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, getting into Pachyrhinosaurus. It's, yeah, it's not an animal crossing, but uh, Triceratops is, and they are somewhat related animals. And I'm just a big Pachyrhinosaurus stan, there's a big emphasis on them in Alberta and Canada in general, because that's where a lot of the discoveries have been found. So I wanted to learn more about them.
0: Yeah, for sure. And there actually just really aren't that many dinosaurs in the game. So yeah, as we kind of continue (laughs) on, and we're coming up on 100 episodes soon, which is really exciting this summer. So yeah, we might start to veer away, I imagine, uh, like in terms of dinosaurs, just because they're There really aren't that many fossils actually in the game. Yeah. And a lot of them aren't dinosaurs anyway. But yeah, I wanted to ask about the Pachyrhinosaurus because I know we did a Pachycephalosaurus episode Mm -hmm. with Amanda, which was awesome. And if you haven't listened to that, you should definitely go back and listen. But I guess, is that just like a naming thing? Like something to do with Latin and they just are named similarly? Or are are they closely related? Like is this kind of a continuation of the pachycephalosaurus or not at all
1: okay so that oh this is so interesting so basically the name pachyrhinosaurus means thick-nosed lizard and I think actually let me just double check this but I think pachycephalosaurus is like thick-headed lizard yeah that makes (laughs) sense. let me just double check this yeah thick-headed lizard so their names are definitely related and actually they are a little bit related also, but I'll get into that a little bit later. Let's talk about what Pachyranosaurus looks like, though, because if you don't know what I'm talking about at all, then this is probably all very confusing. But they look a bit like Triceratops. They have this frill, a massive head, and various horned ornamentation coming off of that frill and that head. But unlike Triceratops, it doesn't have those two big horns coming out above its eyes or on its nose. And like I said before, its Latin name means thick-nosed lizard, so it has this thick pad- that's basically called a nasal boss. It's just this giant kind of rock thing that's smushed on its nose. I don't know how (laughs) else to describe it. It just looks like it's got a big boulder on its nose. And it's kind of cute. Like, I don't know. I don't know why it's cute, but it just makes its face really cute. And I'm making a lot of comparisons to triceratops here, more than I'm really comfortable with because they aren't super closely related. So let's discuss taxonomy. So Pachyrhinosaurs and Triceratops are ceratopsids. This is a group of Cretaceous period dinosaurs that were beaked and herbivorous. And it was a pretty recent group of dinosaurs with the youngest known ceratopsian Triceratops prorsus, having gone extinct with the big asteroid that just blew everything up. So it was basically one of the last dinosaurs or non-avian dinosaurs. What's interesting about Ceratopsians is that their ancestors were bipedal, and they actually belong to a group, Marginocephalia, which makes one of their closest known relatives, Pachycephalosaurus, the one we were talking about before, the one with the big helmet head. So they are like a little bit related to Pachycephalosaurus, but not super closely, which is kind of neat.
0: They are really cute, actually. They remind me of I can't remember that breed of dog you know the one I'm talking about they're like white and black and they I think they're related to you know pit bulls and stuff but they have like that really
1: oh like bull terriers
0: yeah, yeah like they've
1: got this like round face round
0: face and it's really
1: cute and
0: yeah it's kind of like if a bull terrier was wearing like a crown or something
1: <laughs> it's really cute oh totally yeah they're they're adorable So, when it comes to Ceratopsian taxonomy, the group of Ceratopsians have two smaller groups within. So first there's the chasmosaurs. They're larger with larger brow horns and smaller nose horns. And this is where Triceratops belongs, the chasmosaurs. Then there's the centrosaurs, which is what Pachyrhinosaurus is, and they're generally a bit smaller and have smaller head frills with large ornamentation on those frills. And their brown horns are usually small with larger nose horns if they have them, which in the case of Pachyrhinosaurus, they likely didn't. Or at least we haven't found any. So... Triceratops definitely isn't super closely related to Pachyrhinosaurus as far as ceratopsians go, but sometimes it's just helpful to compare lesser known dinosaurs to more well-known dinosaurs, which is why in every piece of dinosaur media I've ever read or watched or listened to, anytime like a T-Rex looking dinosaur comes up they have to be like it's a relative of the t-rex right (laughs) (laughs) because everyone's gonna be like it's a t-rex and they're like no it's an albertosaurus (laughs) or something i just that always cracks me up
0: yeah for sure so is pachyrhinosaurus just one animal or are there multiple species
1: yeah so pachyrhinosaurus is a genus with three species of pachyrhinosaur so let's get into it we've got pachyrhinosaurus canadensis this one lived 71.5 to 71 million years ago, and this is sort of the middle child in terms of age range for a pachyrhinosaur. It was the biggest of the three, with about 6 to 8 meters in length and between 3 to 4 tons. So it was a very large animal, like we're, we're getting up there, like between rhino and elephant. And it was described in 1950 by Charles Mortram Sternberg. It was collected in 1945 and in 1946 from a sandy clay area of the Horseshoe Canyon formation in Alberta. And this species is known from various localities from southern Alberta, including a place near Lethbridge, apparently called Scabby Butt. Um, I read that on Wikipedia and I was like, I think that's really funny.
0: (laughs) We must include that.
1: Yeah, I like to imagine just like a paleontologist trying to like get down a cliffside and they like had to slide down on their butt. And so they called it scabby butt. That's probably not why it's named that, but that's how it's named in my opinion. (laughs) Anyway, we have a second species here called Pachyrhinosaurus Lacustai. And this one is the oldest known pachyrhinosaur so it lived about 73.5 to 72.5 million years ago and this species is known from the pipestone creek bone bed around grand prairie alberta so kind of north-ish and this bone bed was discovered in 1974 by a science teacher named al lacusta for whom this dinosaur was named after and so al would bring his students out there to find fossils usually those would be mollusk fossils But one day he wandered upstream a bit and started to find fossilized bone along the river edge. And he looked up and found a spot where the bone was falling out. So he called a bunch of people and sent fossils to them. And these fossils were eventually excavated by the Royal Tyrell Museum of Paleontology, which had just been opened at the time. And they got up to the site in the late 80s. And to their surprise, they found a massively dense bone bed with about 100 bones per square meter. So they found about 3.5 thousand bones and 14 skulls in total, with a total of 27 individual pachyrhinosaurus in this bone bed. And that's kind of amazing when I think about that. Like you're just finding just an insane number of bones there. Like that would be really overwhelming. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's a huge find. Really cool.
1: It's very cool. And the thought is that these animals died while attempting to cross a flooded river. So among these bones are teeth from the theropod Boreonicus, which was likely feeding on the dead dinos. One of the most important aspects of this discovery was that there were juvenile Pachyrhinosaurus in this bone bed, which tells paleontologists that these animals were, one, the kind that would travel in groups... And two, they cared for their young. So this was a herd for sure. And eventually, these Pachyrhinosaurus were named as a separate species from Pachyrhinosaurus canadensis in 2008 by Phil Curry, Wen Langston Jr., and Darren Tankey. Okay, and then there's a third species called Pachyrhinosaurus perotorum. And this one is sort of the baby of the group. It lived from 70 to 69 million years ago. And both Pachyrhinosaurus peritorum and Lacustai are around the same size and are smaller than Pachyrhinosaurus canadensis at about 5 meters long and 2 tons. Still massively big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to undermine that. And th- so in 2013, I mean... It's kind of crazy. All of these species are relatively recent finds, like especially Peritorum and Lacustae. These are recently described dinosaurs. So in 2013, this species was named from a nasal boss fossil that was found in Alaska in the kickak tagosiak quarry along the Colville River. And it was described by Anthony R. Fiorio and Ronald Tokoski. The Prince Creek formation in which the specimen was found also has a wide assortment of polar dinosaurs, including some of the dinosaurs you might see in Prehistoric Planet, including large velociraptor-like dromaeosaurs and Trudon, and the T-Rex-like Gorgosaur. There are also ostrich-like ornithomimids and hadrosaurs. So it was a very, um, a really good spot for finding all of those sort of iconic northern dinosaurs. And interestingly, apparently some of these fossils show evidence of boring from dermestid beetles, which... As an entomologist, just seems really cool to me because sometimes I forget about prehistoric bugs and then I read some like very benign fact about like, yeah, bugs like ate their corpses and I'm like, oh yeah, duh, of course they would. So I thought that was kind of cool.
0: Yeah, we should do a prehistoric bugs episode sometime. That'd be fun.
1: Yeah, I I think it would be really neat. Do Um, you know
0: if there are any, I guess, would they fossilize? No.
1: Yeah, so you do find, like, very often you'll find them in shale, so sort of, like, pressed between pieces of of rock and mud. So they definitely do get fossilized. There's, like, fossilized ants, which we talked about in our ants episode. I mean, obviously, you find them in amber, right. very classic place to find prehistoric bugs. So, yeah, you'll find sort of, I think it's mostly imprints. Don't quote me on that. But usually the pictures I see look like imprints of them, kind of like the way you'd find sort of pressed leaves leaf shapes and fossils. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not positive on that. But you definitely do find like we we know a bit about prehistoric bugs. Very cool. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to mention about some of these species is like if you go to Dinosaur Provincial Park, they have a centrosaur bone bed and I think that one might be pachyrhinosaurus. So, if you ever go to Dinosaur Provincial Park, they you can take a tour. Um, with the provincial park staff and they bring you to a bone bed that was just so rich in centrosaur fossils that they like just stopped excavating them because they were like well we kind of have enough like we could put in all this effort and money into excavating it or we could let other people come see it so you can see bones that are in the ground and it's very very cool and exciting and just a beautiful hike that's so cool yeah
0: we definitely recommend anyone who's into Dinosaurs, go to Alberta. I'll be Absolutely. going back later this summer, which I'm really excited about. And my dad and I are going to go back to the Royal Tyrrell because it's just such a good museum. And like, we've been thinking about it ever since we went like years ago. So
1: really excited. <laughs> it's so exciting. And in front of the Royal Ty-well- Ty-well. <laughs> Royal Tyrell, they have these sculptures of Pachyrhinosaur. So they have some really cute Pachyrhinosaurus. Uh, sculptures that you can take photos with um, and climb correct. on if you want or maybe not climb on there's probably a sign this is don't climb on these but if I'll you have take kids a photo. Sure you
0: <laughs> so speaking of the pachyrhinosaur and I guess Alberta where else did they live besides I guess Alberta like how far was kind of their range
1: they went pretty far north I mean that that uh, bone bed in Alaska yeah, they were like very far north. I know that's not very helpful, but <laughs> basically they <laughs> they probably lived in herds in upland habitats away from riparian areas, probably in conifer forests. Their herds would have been made up of different age groups. And in the case of at least Pachybrinosaurus paratorum, they probably didn't reach full size until age 20, actually. So part of the way they determine this is. That because of the northern latitudes, these animals, their bones show these very distinct growth rings, much like the growth rings on a tree. So when winter came and resources were scarce, they didn't grow as much and it shows in the rings of their bone, which is so, so cool. And you can find this in some other dinosaurs, but it's just a lot more obvious in these animals that were living in extreme in, in conditions of extreme seasonal change.
0: Wow, I didn't know about that. That's super cool.
1: It's very cool.
0: Also, this is a maybe dumb question, but what what are riparian areas?
1: Oh, oh my goodness! I'm so sorry. That was a very like enviro science term. <laughs> so, uh, basically places with like large rivers. Oh, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So riparian refers to the area directly around a river.
0: Interesting. Or a,
1: a water body.
0: Yeah. So they. Do you think they were like not around water that much or just other types of So water?
1: the thought is that they were kind of sharing the land with Edmontosaurus and Edmontosaurus seems to have preferred those sort of riparian, like I said, the-, the river areas, the riparian areas. And because they were probably feeding on similar things as Edmontosaurus, they probably didn't want to overlap their niche. So they may have been a little bit more upland and the Edmontosaurus would have been more and the Hadrosaurus would have been more down near the rivers. Okay. So getting back into sort of Rhinosaurus and the media, they seem to just be very popular. In addition to them being on Prehistoric Planet, they were also featured in the 2013 Walking with Dinosaurs, which was sort of a family-friendly dinosaur show. It was really funny because I, yeah, I was searching on YouTube for videos of Rhinosaurus and I came across this, like, Walking with Dinosaurs, and I thought, oh my gosh, I bet it's amazing. And I opened this video, and like... The graphics were amazing, and it was Pecorinosaurus fighting with like Gorgosaurus, some like T Rexy thing. And all of a sudden, there's like these voiceovers of the dinosaurs speaking to each other. Oh. But they were like genuinely some of the worst. Like the voiceovers just did not match. It was like the guy who voices Bruno in Encanto. Really? And I was oh. like, what? what is going on? It was just really jarring and quite funny. So if we... you want kind of like <laughs> cringy voiceover of a dinosaur. Dead Man's Canyon, Scowler's Farley. That's a new name, by the way, and you'll know why
0: in a minute. Patchy, the Gorgos, we've got to get out of here now. Uh,
1: scowler? Ah! Scowler! Uh! Ah! Patchy, don't just stand there. Get out of here. Run! But you're my brother. We have to stick together.
0: I'm going to need like an edit of We Don't Talk About Bruno, but it's We Don't Talk About Pachyrhinosaurus. Yeah,
1: it's <laughs> so funny. But I mean, it's for kids, but it was just really funny because the graphics are really high quality. So <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, but I wanted to mention a couple things from the prehistoric planet depictions of Pachyrhinosaurus, which I thought were really interesting. So the first thing is that The eyes of the pachyrhinosaurus had these goat-like horizontal slit pupils, like they were just like rectangular. And Dr. Darren Nash, who was the paleontological consultant on the show, went on Twitter and was talking about this and basically said that they wanted to highlight the possibility that pupil shape might have been variable within even one specific group of dinosaurs because it... It varies even within living groups of animals. And there likely is slash was the evolutionary potential for non-bird dinosaurs to vary in this way. There were there are birds with square and vertical slit like pupils and there are lizards with horizontal bar like pupils. So and, and the other thing is he wanted to emphasize or imply that different members of groups lived under different selective pressures so pachyrhinosaurus were not plains dwellers but they likely did frequent semi-open areas more than triceratops would have so i just thought those were some interesting thoughts about how to depict dinosaurs in media and another thing that i thought was really interesting was that the pachyrhinosaurus in the show had porcupine quills along their back so i looked online on what the scientific basis of this was, because I was like, there's no way they just, you know, throw in some porcupine quills and not think about that. So I couldn't really find anything except I found some like info on Cicatosaurus so I went and asked some paleontology friends. Specifically, I reached out to three guests who've been on the show before, Miria Perez, Charles Nye, and Evelyn Balmer, to see what the gossip was around these porcupine quills. <laughs> so I got some really interesting... First of all, they all responded to me so fast. Like, <laughs> we're talking like five minutes. They were like on it. So shout out to them for being just like amazing people to ask questions to <laughs> get like that. an immediate response it was great so muria sent a picture of triceratops skin that has quite literally just been petrified like it's so cool and on the skin there's these nubs that poke out of the skin kind of strangely and Miria said that some paleontologists have suspected that these would harbor quills So that's one idea. And then what Charles, Miriam, and Evelyn all mentioned was this Ceratopsian called Cicatosaurus. And it was found, like a whole bunch of species of that group have been found in what is now Asia. And it really didn't look anything like other Ceratopsians that we think about. It was pretty small with this very round, very bald looking head and a beak, And they walked on two legs, meaning, you know, they were bipedal. So really weird looking thing. And there's 12 species so far of this animal. And they have just the most remarkably preserved fossils. It's beautiful. And some of these fossils show very distinct quills or bristles on the tail. So if you look on the Wikipedia page for Cicatosaurus, you'll see these amazing, amazing fossils from China uh, with those really well-preserved bristles. So definitely go look at that. Charles sent that photo to me and I was like, what? This is crazy. So uh, I got really excited about that. The other thing though, Evelyn mentioned that the representation of Pachybrinosaurus and other Ceratopsians as sharing these quill features can be controversial. And some paleontologists very hotly contest this. So there is some dino drama surrounding the quill representation. So I thought that was all very interesting.
0: Yeah, it it must be stressful to be like the one making the decisions for like such a high profile documentary of how you're going to show them and like which things you're going to include or not include because anything you do could get disproven later and and contested and everything. So, yeah, I kind of don't envy that job.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And like they had Dr. Derenesh, who's like, I see him all over Twitter when it comes to paleontology stuff. He, I think he edited the he created the blog like Tetrozoology, Tetrozoology, something like that. And so I've been following his research for or like his SciCom for a long time. So I was kind of like, wow, neat, like that he's the the consultant for the show. Probably of many consultants. But yeah, I I definitely wouldn't envy that either. It's kind of tricky, but that's also why I respect them for trying to make sort of leaps here and there, speculative leaps. I think yeah. That takes a lot of guts and I don't know, I personally really I mean, I really love the show. I think it's super interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely gonna gonna check it out. And I need to stop like watching Stranger Things stuff. So it'll be good. <laughs> I started
1: watching Stranger Things season four last night and I got really scared and then I couldn't fall
0: asleep. <laughs> yeah, they leaned into the I horror. got way too
1: hyped up. It's really good. I
0: actually I don't know. I've talked to a few people about this, but I actually like found season three I don't know, not scarier, but just like grosser, like the the gross. Yeah, like, the
1: monster was really gross. It was so
0: gross. It was, it was just, like, like gory. Yeah, I I way prefer like sort of creepy paranormal stuff to just like gore, blood, meat <laughs> stuff.
1: Yeah, so. like I still think the the first season was the best for just being really spooky and scary. Yeah, and
0: kind of contained. But yeah, I definitely think season four is like almost as good. And if not better, just because, like, I don't know, if you've watched the whole thing and then, like, you love all the characters so much and there's even more characters to love. and
1: I think they do a really impressive job of, like, giving all the characters enough screen time that you kind of – like, they're still using them.
0: Yeah. I mean, some people have kind of fallen off, like, Jonathan and Will and Mike and stuff. Like, <laughs> it's, like, that whole California storyline. That's true. Line. But,
1: but, like, I'm kind of impressed that they can still, like – even have them in the story at all, like have that many characters. It's a
0: huge amount of characters. And I that's think it's just like yeah. That's so much work. Even for volume for two, like I won't spoil anything, but just like I feel like they're even adding more characters, but but also the episodes are like insanely long. They're <laughs>
1: and so long.
0: I, I wouldn't watch that long episodes for like pretty much any other show, but I think they've justified why they need that much time. So anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah definitely. I, oh, I love that show. It's so good. Like I'm just watching this first episode, and I'm like, I feel so bad for L. Like she's making me cry. <laughs> I, I feel so sad for her, <laughs> but yeah, it's so good.
0: It's rough for like everyone. <laughs> Definitely, um, text me as you get on in the series. I will. I will. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this. TV heavy episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is purely a nerdy, obviously we've been watching too much TV kind of episode.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> super fun. Thank you so much, Olivia. Like, what a cool dinosaur to hear about, and it's making me feel a lot of Alberta pride.
1: Yeah, I I just love it. It's a big, beautiful northern dinosaur, and I just it's cute. <sighs> I had to talk about it. And shout out to Miria, Charles, and Evelyn for their input on the quills. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, everyone, for
0: listening. And don't forget to check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers. We've got tons of stickers and postcards with Olivia's amazing art on them. So if you're a fan of the show, I think definitely you should put some stickers on your water bottle. (laughs)
1: in my expert opinion (laughs) yes (laughs) and of course follow us on instagram and twitter at beyond blathers and check out our tiktok at beyond underscore blathers
0: tune in next week on monday to learn more about the insects fish and fossils you can find in animal crossing new horizons bye
1: bye